Get Advisor Fit with Olivia Looper, a series of interviews with financial consultants and industry experts helping financial advisors strategize, market, and grow their business using core fitness values and analogies. Do something today that your future self will thank you for with Get Advisor Fit. Here's your host, Olivia Looper. Hey guys, welcome back to Get Advisor Fit. Today I'm joined by David Polis. He is an author, speaker, consultant, and fractional CMO. He has been in marketing for a long time, friends, 40 years helping people grow their businesses. He's worked with all kinds of kinds from big companies like MasterCard and American Airlines to small mom and pop businesses and advisory firms of all sizes. So, Man, I'm really excited about this conversation. I feel like I am getting to sit down with someone who knows first who knows so much more than I do. Okay, first of all, let's just say that. I've only been in financial advisor marketing for oh, about five years now. So to sit down with you reminds me of this question that we see online where they say, would you rather have, you know, a lump sum of money, 5 million, 10 million, $15 million, or would you rather be able to go back 20 years, or let's say you've been in marketing for 40 years. So let's say 40 years and know everything that you know today. So I'm not, you don't have to answer that. Maybe you can, if you want, but (laughs) this conversation makes me think of that meme because I want to know what's going on in your brain. And so does my audience. So Without further ado, let me let you introduce yourself. And if you want to answer that question, you knock yourself out. Good morning, Olivia. Thank you for having me. Um, I've been a marketer for over 40 years and have also had careers in other industries as well. So I bring all those different skills and all those different bits and pieces of knowledge and tricks and techniques and more importantly, perspective to any assignment I take on, and that includes financial advisory. And I saw you posted something this morning that said only 58% of advisors' clients come from advertising, which I'm assuming they're meaning marketing. Um, And that's perfectly understandable. And there's a very good reason for that. Uh, We'll go into that in just a little bit. But your your question about the million dollars or the wisdom, marketing has moved so quickly and has advanced so far since I started. Uh, When I started doing this we pasted up with wax and, and, and razor blades. I mean, it was really that primitive back then. And I bought one of the very first computer systems from Apple, very first desktop publishing systems when they rolled off the line in 1984. So I've been at this a while and seeing how quickly it's changed and how much it's changed, but how little the fundamentals have actually changed. Marketing is about eliciting an emotional response. And that's one of the reasons why, especially advisors have such a hard time with all of this, because they're the anti-emotional response. Their job is to not be emotional and to make decisions based on facts and information and help their clients do the same with their investments, with their financial planning. They don't want to be emotional and they don't, they aren't good at eliciting emotional responses. They're there to tamp them down. So right. it seems antithetical to what they do every day. And that's why a lot of them struggle. And that's why some of the smartest advice can be to get some outside help from people who aren't um hobbled by those particular constraints i agree i mean when i first started um i just started as a writer i was just writing the content for financial advisors they would come to me say i want a blog topic or i want an email um things like that 
And one of the things that I thought was a unique value of mine for them was that I wasn't, I'm not, I don't have a finance background. I have an English literature background. That's a whole nother story. But I was more like the consumer in my knowledge base than I was like the advisor. So I always explained it like, I take what you know, you know, bring it down a little bit. And then I speak to the person that knows nothing about any of this and I sort of bridge the gap. So obviously it took some time and research and a lot of um, trial and error to learn how to write for financial advisors because I don't have a financial background. But it, at the end of the day, I think that that outside perspective is helpful in writing copy for the B2C advisor client. Absolutely. One of the things I always like to leave people with is that if you write as if you're inside the customer's head, will do much better because it's very difficult for people to place themselves in the mind of the customer if they're not part of the target demographic. These guys aren't looking to attract other advisors. They're looking to attract people that need help. And they're not used to being people that need help. So it's very hard for them to project into the mind of the customer, which is why they need people like you and I. Yeah, and they need people like you and I who are going to say, okay, I've said this before on the podcast, the, the way to reach your audience is not... To show them, you know, well, different parts of the funnel, but like, let's uh, talk top, like talk of top of funnel, brand awareness, things like that, getting people to recognize um, who you are and what you do and things like that um, is not to go showing them a bunch of graphs and numbers and projections and all of this, how you do what you do. It's to show them how what you do improves their lives and then you can use that other kind of stuff further down the road um maybe when you finally have your initial you know meeting with them depending on your process but uh something that I end up explaining a lot is that all of that technical stuff is not what you lead with agreed uh positioning is all about gaining the confidence and the trust of the of the customer and advisors tend to be very technically oriented as well, as I'm sure you know from, from your audience. If, if you ask them what time it is, they'll tell you how the watch works. We don't want to know how the watch works. We just want to know whether it's time for lunch. Tell us what it is you can do to help us specifically, not how you get there or what we're going to expect to get back out of it, other than some peace of mind and a good plan. We right. don't need to know that. We need to know that we can trust you, that you've done this before, and that your clients are very happy. <laughs> that's all exactly. that your clients are very happy so speaking of clients and making clients happy um and so you've been in marketing in all kinds of industries now you did say you touched on this briefly about you know it's in eliciting emotion um that's what marketing is based on have do you think that your experience in these um in other areas besides the financial advisory um space has given you like a leg up because you have seen marketing in other spaces there's no question that you can borrow from from other industries that i've been a part of uh financial advisors tend to marketers especially tend to think inside the box and there's a couple of reasons for this one um you have the compliance issue to put up with there's all kinds of uh, constraints put on you in terms of what you can say and how you can say it to a good marketer rules like that just provide something to push back against and, and drive your creativity forward. And again, people that are used to dealing with just facts stated as plainly as they can be, lots of numbers, lots of graphs and charts, don't have the muscles developed very well to be creative on demand. 
Right. Um, it, other industries, however, have have realized that marketing is an integral part of their businesses, and they back it, they support it, they drive it, they use it, and they understand that. Yeah, it it may not be the way I would have said it, but by golly, that's the way the audience understands it. And look at that, it's working. Right. <laughs> the results are what it's really all about. And I mean, everything from credit card offers to to airlines to breweries to anybody else you can name that's embraced marketing as a way to grow and as a way to scale and as a way to drive business forward. They understand the power of acquisition. They understand the power of a brand that's able to resonate with an audience and and use it as a as a pulling force to try and 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 gain a customer loyalty. Um, financial advisory have have any number of advantages in marketing that they may not even be aware of. Compared to other industries, their their retention rates are through the roof. Right. Nobody keeps customers 96 or 7 or 8% of the time. Nobody does that. There's too much churn for that. And there's too many other options. Now what they also are up against is that financial advice has turned into a commodity and they need to understand that in order to stand out, they need to be different. And these are guys who are grown and raised to run with the pack. So you've got you've to keep in mind that they don't feel comfortable breaking outside of the pack in order to stand out to an audience and be specific. Um, the other advantage is the numbers, the return numbers work incredibly well in financial advisory. If you're on an AUM model charging 1% of what you bring in the door, your marketing's paid for with one customer in many right. cases. It doesn't take much. And you don't need very many customers. Maximum capacity is two, 250 realistically. And, and that's Absolutely. for a single advisor. If you're in an ensemble, you can you can 5X that and, and get some back office support and maybe 10X that. So yeah. you're really looking at a growth path that can be marketing driven. Um any number of ways, but the numbers work so well. It's it's hard to fail at this. If you trust the process right. and do the marketing correctly, it's like a license to print money. Well, that's I like the way you said that because yesterday I was on a prospect call with an advisor. Well, and it, actually, this was not an advisor. This was a group that serves advisors as an investment management team. And they said something that, you know, I come across with advisors as well, which was like, okay, we're in this place where we're ready to spend money. We don't know if we should do it. We know that we need help with capacity in the near future. We also know, um, <clears throat> you know, that we need to be marketing so that we can get more of this, the referral type clients that we're getting now <clears throat> faster and with more consistency. I said, okay. Well, and he said, well, what do you think I should do first? And I said, well, I, I think the obvious answer is to put your money in marketing first, get to a place where you, like you said, you can onboard one new client <laughs> and um, significantly increase your revenue to actually open up revenue space for a new hire or, you know, a new outsourced team member or whatever. But uh, what would you say in that situation? Well, we like to start at the beginning. I've been using customer insight research for a long, long time to drive marketing decision-making. It's very difficult to go wrong when you're simply giving the customer what it is they've told you they want. So to find out what's inside those customers' minds and to map that customer journey accurately, you have to actually talk to them. And marketing in, for advisors is very difficult because they are stingy about letting you talk to customers. They are their friends, they are their relatives, they are their bread and butter. They don't want you going in there messing stuff up with their customers. So they're right. very cagey about all this. 
So the answer I would give them is A, find out what it is that drove a majority of those customers in the door. And I don't mean whether they were referral or whether they were marketed or whatever. What single emotional reason brought them in the door? Did they need help? Was there a specific problem that you solved that no one else did? Did you appeal to a specific emotion that most people didn't have? What was it that brought you in, brought them in the door? Right. And when you can isolate that, now you know a lot about how your approach should go and how much you should depend on it and what it actually means. Sometimes if they're getting a majority of their customers through referral, and most of the younger ones typically are, yeah. older ones are largely resting on their laurels and don't need particular growth. They need stability to, to combat the 2 or 3% churn they have and maybe do some expansion towards the end if they've got a sale in mind. Right. Um, but one of the things they can actually do is learn about referral marketing because most people don't even know how to ask properly. There's no program in place. There's no specific actions or process built into their business that asks for a referral from current clients. We used to do client events all the time, and that's a great way to get referrals because we asked them to bring a guest with them. It's it, here. This, these are my guys. It's an introduction like you'll never get anywhere else. Right. So, but if they have a process for that, and we had a 10 or 12 step follow-up program uh, pre-built for those events so that you knew it was already taken care of and they didn't have to do it. But a good advisor will pick out the top 10 customers they have and have them bring five or six other people with them. People are going to bring people like them. So they're going to fit your profile already. They're going to be custom built for you. Uh, their financial situation may not be, but the people, the personality is going to be very similar. So you're now confronted with a larger pool of people you're already comfortable with and that already know who you are and that know that you offer good services because they wouldn't be friends with you otherwise. You're not going to bring somebody to somebody that's failing. You're going to bring somebody that's doing well. They want to brag about you. Right. But now it's an easy entree. Oh, by the way, stop by our office. We've got a new thing to talk about. Um, I told Jim this the other day and, and he said he would mention it to you. Very, very simple approach, very low key, not salesman at all. And a lot of them are very timid about being salesy. They don't want to see us pushing. I know, trust me. I've heard pushing is easier. Time. Pulling is easier than pushing. So, you know, make an invitation, provide some value, ask them to come in and talk to you for half an hour and say, look, we've got this new thing we're trying. Um, I want to run it by you and see what you think. Very low key, very easy to do. And it's a sales process. There's no marketing to it. It's strictly a sales process. Where the marketing came in is in promoting the event itself and getting those people to bring that guest and all the background stuff that went with that and all the follow-up to make sure it happens. That's where the marketing comes in. That's where the beauty is. Um, if they want to throw a bunch of money out, it, advisors do very well when you can attribute your marketing efforts to dollars. If you can draw a straight line between every dollar spent on marketing and how many new customers came in as a result and what their value is in terms of revenue, now you've got a winner for them because they like to see things all lined up nice and neat in a row. Unfortunately, most of the best marketing is not very easily attributable. It's very difficult to do. So you're stuck with things like email and social media because there's lots of data. They like to play with the data, lots of charts and graphs. Again, we're right back to that. Um, but unfortunately, what really drives this interest and this emotional resonance is most of the brand building stuff that's not easily attributable. That right. contribution to the community, that little ad in the in the show program at the local theater, um, that magazine ad that goes to the, the country clubs, um, events, 
sponsoring the local, you know, town fair or whatever it is. Those are the things that bring the, the residents to a certain type of person that should be the right type of person for a client for you. We'll talk about niching in a little bit, but you'll get the idea that your customer base has a certain look and feel to it. And the way you're going to get more of them is to find more people like that is really the bottom line. Right. So you did touch on something early on in that segment um, about advisors who are nearing the end of their career and looking to transition out, but maybe need to add some value to their business before they leave. And of course, we would like to talk about how marketing plays into all that and sort of what advice you would um, give an advisor who was succession planning um, and and is interested in this, this avenue as a way to increase their valuation before they leave. Succession planning is a, is a tough topic to talk about because it makes people face a change in their life and people don't like change. They're change averse. It means that if you're thinking about retirement, what does retirement actually look like for you? Because when you're used to getting that, that draw from that business or that paycheck every month that you've set up through the company and that sort of thing, when suddenly that stops, they have to tell their own customers this all the time, but they don't take their own advice. When that transition comes and that check doesn't come anymore, what's going to happen? Well, the advisor's got to worry about that. Plus, he's got to worry about what happens to all those clients he spent years and years and years accumulating. Where do they go? Because if he just drops out of sight and retires and calls it a day and moves to Florida and opens a bar, boom, those people disappear into the wind and they're of no value to anyone. And he doesn't get to, to live off any residuals anymore after that. So what you need to do is you need to structure a purchase or some sort of a succession plan that allows for someone else to take in that business that will still allow you either passive income or long range income that comes out of it that you can use for retirement. Now, there's a number of ways you can do that. You can hook up with a PE firm that will help you lever into a purchase of your firm by someone else. Um, you can find an advisor and grow them up in the remaining years you have, maybe the last five or 10 you can take on another advisor and slowly transition over those clients over time, and he works his way into buying the firm. There are people that will support that and buy that. Uh, some TAMPs have a have a, a program to do that. Um, there are other ways you can do that. Work with your local investment bank. They can structure a deal for you that will make that happen. But the trick is not to let those clients go just into the ether and find their own advisor on their own. You need to find a way to transition them to someone else that actually benefits you. Now, how marketing affects that is most advisors, when they're looking to sell, are probably expecting some sort of a multiple of annual revenue. Um, multiples of annual, annual revenue change with the local marketplace and with the overall stock market in general, because that's what values businesses. You've got a beautiful client list and clear ongoing revenue streams. If you tighten up your balance sheet and make sure your expenses are attributable and that they're quantifiable and your headcount is not overly abusive, you can find buyers that will give you multiples of two, two and a half, maybe three in some cases, depending on the climate. Finding those multiples is not always easy. You have to show that this is a viable business, even in spite of you or without you. And here's where marketing comes in, because you build a machine that keeps those new customers coming in on a regular basis and fills that pipeline so that someone else, the new advisor, hopefully, or the new owner can close them. It's not you you're selling anymore. It's an actual viable business that runs on itself without you. 
So that's really the key. Buff up that value towards those last five years so that a pipeline is apparent. You've got, you've got a cachet of, of potential revenue sitting there. And that makes your balance sheet look an awful lot more attractive to a buyer. So that's how you kind of shape this thing by putting good branding in place, by being consistent in your processes, by having ongoing and, and consistent outgoing marketing messaging that matches your particular talents and techniques of that firm. Now you're talking a machine that constantly will drive new customers into the pipeline that will close much, much more readily and make it a whole lot easier for you to find a buyer. Okay, so we've talked um, a lot here about different marketing techniques. Obviously, I'm in digital marketing. So to me, I would like to know what you would recommend to one of these advisors who is towards the end of their career and, and what what role specifically that digital marketing should play there. Um, we talked about, you know, briefly, uh, when we talked about the importance of having the pipeline full, but how can they leverage digital marketing to to support those efforts towards the end of their career? Well, there's all kinds of ways that, that the word digital can play into this. Uh, but keep in mind, though, this is still a human game and it's still a human emotion that we're looking for. So the focus on the digital probably doesn't need to be as strong as the focus on the goal of what you're trying to, to attempt to, to message. Now, visibility is key to brand building and social media is custom made for visibility amongst the target audience. And here's the thing. You have to know your value proposition before you can do any marketing at all. Half these people, because they have gained their customers through word of mouth, haven't needed to do visibility, haven't needed to do brand building, haven't needed to have a single value proposition that resonates with a given audience. And this is where the, the insight lies in that you have to do some introspection. You have to let your fingers do the walking through your database. You need to find out what it is that makes you special. What made those people in your database think that you were the guy for them? And they'll have some commonalities. If you dig deep enough, you'll find a group probably not all of them, but a, a grand majority of them have maybe four or five attributes in common. Right. Um, and you want to find more people like that. So now social media and paid advertising in social media will allow you to target people with those attributes. And now your branding messaging that shows how different you are and what you solve specifically, what problem you're fixing, will be seen by the correct audience at the right time. And there are things you can do to enhance that. Uh, obviously, you can boost non-paid posts for a small fee, and that will give you more reach if you're using that audience. You can use a shadow audience, which is very, very similar, but differs in one attribute, and go out and use that. Um, you can use multiple platforms. Depending on your messaging and your target, you can hit the same audience on multiple platforms in a different way. And the other thing is that one of my favorites in all this in terms of social media is the ability to retarget. It's not just one message. This is not one and done. Marketing is a, a marathon, not a sprint. You have to sit there. And one of the things that, that really kills uh, marketing programs, especially for advisors, is this focus on quarterly results. These guys are investment professionals. They're used to reading results quarter by quarter by quarter by quarter. That's how companies report them. That's how the exchanges report them. You don't have to work that way in your business. Your business is for a lifetime. We're talking, you're asking someone to give you their entire life savings and you to manage it for the balance of their life. That's a huge ask, but you've got to have long-term time horizons for them. So for their plan to work out, 
And you need the same long-term time horizons for your marketing to start generating information and start generating revenue and start generating sales. You're not going to eat the apple off the tree you planted yesterday. It's just not going to happen. You have to wait and you have to be patient and you have to keep feeding the machine. Most advisors give up long before they get traction. There's many studies that have shown this. There's a beautiful graph out there that says, here's where you are. Here's where you give up. Here's where it starts to have results. (laughs) Way back here. So you got to stick with it. You got to have patience. You have to stick with it. And it's like, it gets the most uncomfortable, those inflection points, which is why people give up. Um, But if you just stick with it, and I've shown this, you know, to the clients that I work with, you know, I tell them, you know, when I first started working with you in the digital space, if you're going from zero to we're implementing this plan, essentially we're going from zero to close to 100, uh, relatively speaking. So our numbers are going to shoot up, you know, pretty quickly. But then they're going to plateau for a while and we're going to get, you know, the novelty of you sending out new emails or putting new social posts or whatever is going to wear off. And we're going to have like more of a plateau that we're going to hit. And then we're going to, and it is going to keep, keep going that way. We'll have spikes and we'll have plateaus and we'll even sometimes perhaps have valleys depending on what's going on in the world and, you know, what we're doing with our marketing and where we need to reposition our approach or, you know, retarget the audience, um, meaning going in and fixing the audience if it needs fixing. Um, but yes, it's, um, it's always at those inflection points that it becomes the most uncomfortable, especially for people who are doing it on their own and don't have someone to, to look to for guidance. Um, but it, and uh, another thing that I wanted to bring up that you, um, touched on was, uh, about the audiences. Um, and it was very, you know, it's hard not to draw a parallel between what you're saying about advisor events where they invite people like them to the event, um, creating a, a social or a digital audience, we can create digital audiences from your current client list and replicate them, like you said, to change certain values um, so that we can see, we can target specifically the people that you know like working with you and that you like working with yourself. So it's not just like, let me just throw my money out into the ether. Um, we're actually doing the same thing. It's just in the digital space instead of at a party. And the great thing about the digital space is that you're showing up where they already are. There's not even an ask. You don't even have to like hope that they come. <laughs> you know, you are, yes. I mean, of course we have more hurdles to get across because we're not getting that trust from, from a personal referral we're we are mediated in our interaction through the internet um and all of these are make the the hurdles higher and and more treacherous to overcome but at the same time i think it's it's important to understand that um these sorts of connections can be built with the audience digitally too absolutely and and you mentioned plateaus and peaks and valleys one of the tactics I've used to alleviate some of that is by being in multiple places on multiple platforms with multiple messaging that all leads to the same thing at the same time. So what you will end up with, instead of a machine with one lever that says more or less, right. pour more money into advertising, bigger spend, bigger gain, you've now got four or five levers you can pull on. When one's not doing so well, you throttle back on that one and you push the other one. 
And when that one doesn't go so well, you push the third one. You can balance it out so that you're reallocating resources to the things that are working best, throttle back the resources on the things that are not working at the moment, rejigger them and go back out. So you now have this constant ebb and flow of all of them, but they average out to a nice solid stream right. of income. It's like having a nice diversified portfolio. You have exactly. to have more than one option going on. So I'm what I like to do at our quarterly meetings is I put it as red, yellow, and green. Green, this is working really great. Uh, we should continue to allocate funds to this area because what we're saying or you know, whatever, whatever it is that we're evaluating, whether it's the web traffic or email opens or whatever it is, whatever metric we're looking at. Because, you know, advisors are like, what? This is a lot of words I don't understand. So I just break it up into green. Here's what's going really well. Yellow needs some attention, could be doing better. So that's where we're going to say, okay, it's not in the red yet. It's in the it's in the yellow. Let's see where we can make some tweaks and get it into the green. And then there's the red section, which is like, is this even worth investing in anymore or should we drop it and try something else right um, and all that data should have points in it predetermined that are go no go inflections exactly like, this is not exactly. working because we're spending x and we're only getting y this one's working because we're spending x and we're getting 2x let's put more resources towards the 2x one right now by a percentage of x and there are two things that are necessary for all this to work one is consistency you can't stop and start all the time. You can moderate and mediate, but you can't start and stop. So once you have your messaging established and you start these things in place, consistently putting the same messaging out to the same audience, it takes what? I think the original advertising prospect was it took seven touches to the customer to get engagement and probably 10 more to actually lead to a purchase. All right, that works great for a box of cereal. For asking somebody to hand you almost a million dollars, right? It's a now lot we're talking a few more touches that are going to be required to make this happen. So consistency is your friend, and guess what? Automation will lead to consistency. It, the only place this doesn't scale up as well is possibly content. If you're doing long-range content, lots of blog posts, and and like this podcast and everything else, that takes a while longer to scale up. It just takes a while. You got to keep doing it. Um, advisors will recognize the name Michael Kitsis. I worked very closely with Michael for a long time, and he and I figured out that consistency is really what drives most of this. He's had a podcast for 10, 12 years now, uh, speaking to advisors. And for the first four or five, it kind of struggled along and was doing two, three, 5,000 at a time. Well, he hit the five-year mark and didn't do anything differently. Suddenly, he's doing 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 downloads a month. And these are three-hour extravaganzas. This is not a half-hour hit that you're getting on your way to work. These are big, long diatribes where you sit down and listen for three hours straight. Yeah. And he was starting to get huge numbers. And I asked him, what did you do differently to make the numbers leap? He said, nothing. I just kept doing it. And that's the real key to all of this is that you just keep doing it. And automation can help. Things like HubSpot and Hootsuite can all help you schedule this stuff in advance. You have one great big creative orgy where you build all your content and get it scheduled and set it up. And you don't have to worry about it after that. You can go on vacation for two weeks and create all this stuff, come back, plug it into the calendar and into the machine, and it does the work while you go back to deal with clients. It's not like it's consistently requiring two, three, four hours a day to create all this content. It's not. Repurposing is key. You can take one paragraph out of that 
12 paragraph blog post and make another uh, LinkedIn post or a Facebook post or something out of it. Repurpose little bits and pieces, turn it into a series. Take a piece of audio you've done and maybe an interview on, on a news program or something and repurpose little pieces of it and then use the transcription to make little pieces of it and send it all out. You're repurposing the existing content. You're not making anything new, but you're reusing it in a way that engages the audience because you know it's right and you know it works. And it's you know it's right. You yeah, and it. you know it works. Exactly. So that's another thing that I explain to um, advisors who are looking at some sort of engagement with us because you know that what we do is create the content and then disseminate the content. Um, so it's not just like we create it and we give it to you and you're on your own. Um, but okay, so I usually put people on a plan like this and I say, okay, here's an essential plan. This is we're going to give you everything that you should be doing every month, but you probably can do more. But if I, you pay me to do this for you every single day, you're, it's going to be ridiculously expensive. So here's what I tell, tell them. The content that you're buying from me is your intellectual property for the rest of time. So why don't, while I'm over here creating new content for you, you can supplement your current plan by just doing exactly what you just said. Going into one of these blog posts that we wrote, copy and pasting a paragraph, breaking it up so there's some white space, add a photo if you like, paste. I mean, we don't have to do anything crazy. But the more you go and put into your, let's say, social media, for example, the more you're going to get out of it. Some people can afford to pay someone to post for them every day. Most don't want to. Um, so it's a good way to supplement what you're paying your outsourcer to do is to go in to the stuff you've already paid for and get, get more out of it. And it doesn't have to take away your focus from clients either. Again, right. with with the technology helping you not only be consistent, but to schedule it ahead of time, you can do it all at one time. Take a weekend, fix it all up, get it done, and you're done for the month. Right. And I do recommend going in every once in a while and just checking and making sure that none of your posts are tone deaf. Sometimes this can happen. If things you happen and things have change. ones that are running <laughs> over and over again. Yes. And, uh, you know, we don't want to... We're in bear market. We don't want to be talking about, you know, this sort of thing we don't necessarily want to be talking about right now. Well, that's the other thing they have to be careful of is being evergreen. These guys, I would shy away and I recommend to advisors that they do not put investment advice on their website, in their social media, in their blog posts, in their content. Do not talk about investing because A, it's not going to be evergreen. It's old news tomorrow. And if you're getting your news from any source other than the company itself, it was old news when you got it. So don't be using that as a, as a crutch because you want to say, you know, this, this went up or this went down, or this is a good idea. Or this is not, oh, yeah. it'll look bad in 10 days. It's not going to work. No, no, that's bad in five minutes. I mean, you, can't do you have it. to consider the lifespan of what you're creating. Sure. You want something that's evergreen, that's good advice, that's going to be the case, unless they, you know, make some radical overhaul of the tax code or something like that. Your advice is going to be fairly evergreen if you're providing good information to people. You want to be a source of expertise. You want to be a source of solid information that you can follow. Make it actionable. Make it evergreen. Make it something they can go, oh, well, I could do that by the sound of this explanation, but I don't want to. I want to have this guy do it for me. Exactly. As I, I always say, it's enough to show that you're the expert, show how it helps them, and show them that they really don't want to do it on their own. A, sure. screw it up, or B, 
Because who wants to? We have way too much stuff to do anyways in our lives. We don't oh, yeah. need to be managing our own portfolios. Uh, they have to, to come up with, with where they want to be in the balance between the I don't cares and the DIYs. Because what you're going to find is your content's going to attract a lot of DIYers. And guess what? They're going to second guess you all the way down the line. Every decision you make, every piece of advice you give them, they're going to go look it up and they're going to find 10 other people that said something different. And they're going to come back to you and say, why are you doing that? You're going to have to justify everything you do because they think they're smarter than you are. They're not. Own it. Enjoy it. Don't brag about it. Say, look, if you want me to handle this, I'll handle it. If you don't, you want to do it yourself, enjoy so you have to make the demarcation between the do-it-yourselfers and the I want you to do it for me's and ignore the DIYers because they're going to suck all the profitability out of your practice. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> this is something that I feel like is a universal message for all business owners or founders because this happens to me a lot, especially with messaging, right? So um, a lot of advisors, like you said, um, so far in my career, I've made a point of working with established advisors. I figure... Um, they typically have a marketing budget. Um, they understand the value in having 24 seven marketing. Um, they're, you know, okay with the whole ordeal. There's not a hard sell or anything that needs to happen. Just, you know, they're looking for help and you're here to provide it. Um, but what does happen is what you mentioned earlier sometimes is that they've relied for so many years um, on resting on their laurels and everything like this, that they really don't have a clear message in place. Um, and these, these more established advisors are usually okay with it. But when you, then you get to, with your messaging work, you're right. Okay, we go through everything. We distill your, still distill what you've put out there into your value proposition and all of these things and like the main parts of your website, um, your LinkedIn profiles and all of these places that we get up to snuff. But then it's the, it's the new guys who come in with no message and they're doing this, uh, well, so-and-so said, this is what you should do with your messaging and so-and-so said, this is what you should do. Well, that's fantastic. If you would like to work with them knock yourself out because messaging is is an interesting thing and if you mentioned this earlier and i meant to touch on it as well um we know what to say and where to say it that's literally our job i mean it's a huge portion of what my job is uh i don't know how to craft the perfect portfolio for this person who's 20 years away from retirement and has these i don't know how to do that but I need you to trust that you also, you know how to do that. And I know how to do this. This is what I know how to do. So yes, I will provide you edits on the messaging that I do for you. But at the end of the day, if I'm telling you, we, we should not make this change, or this is really not the right place to say this, you, there's got to be some trust because the numbers are not going to lie. If we keep diluting the message, which is basically what happens there's like a huge dilution of just because the advisor wants to just say too much. They're so always, 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 always bury it in like 20 pages of facts <laughs> that are yeah, relevant. Like all person. you're doing is taking this really, this great little golden nugget and throwing dirt all over the top of it. No one can see the golden nugget anymore. It's just a pile of dirt. Yeah. So they're going to do that <laughs> because that's how they think. But what they don't understand is, they don't think like everybody else and that's their value. Right. They're not realizing that doing what they do is what other people don't do. 
don't try and be like them. Try and be like the audience. <laughs> so you got to speak the audience's language. And that's why I relied so heavily on research, because that's how you learn the audience's language. Now, in financial advisory, especially, or any business insurance that has been built by referral, you often do know your customer fairly well in terms of their name, maybe their kid's name or their wife's name. Maybe you've got a birthday set up in your, your CRM somewhere that says, oh, send them a card. Great. That's not really knowing why they came to you. Right. That's not knowing their preferences. That's not knowing their proclivities. That's not knowing their fears and their hopes and their dreams. You don't know that stuff. If you're smart, you figured it out when you first did their intake and did that heart to heart at the beginning to get started to know what their goals were for their finances. But you don't really know what makes that person tick. Research can be structured to elicit those particular parameters that you can act upon to make decisions that will resonate with a certain group of people. That's right. where the magic is. But if you don't know the customer it, it, and you're not like the customer, you're almost never your own target demographic. You're almost never fit the right profile right. because you're an advisor. If you're looking to sell to other advisors, great, terrific. Hey. But other than that, you're not them. And you need to think like them and you need to speak to them, not to other guys like you. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes that might not be saying what you think you should. No, um, and oftentimes it is not um, counterintuitive, and that makes people uncomfortable. Um, but realistically, if you are not in possession of a firm grasp of what marketing is, what it does, more importantly, what it isn't, um, it is not sales. It is not your close rate. It is not an advertisement in the local paper. That's not marketing. That's a promotion at best. And if you do only one, it's a worthless promotion. So realistically, if you don't have a good grasp of marketing and you want to, in order to hire the best people to help you, you sort of have to know what they do. If for no other reason than you recognize good versus bad. People that go into this blind are going to pick the, the guy with the slickest delivery. And that's not necessarily the best way to go. Um, and there's a number of different resources out there. I am more than happy to send you a copy of my book, which is a marketing primer, which covers everything from the research all the way on down to the data, to outreach, to advertising, to out of home, to marketing funnels, to all the rest of that stuff at a very basic, easy to digest level. Doesn't require a lot of facts. There's not a lot of charts and graphs. There's not a lot of study. It's quick little one hit uh, I think there's 10 chapters in there and each chapter is maybe 20 pages and they're made up of maybe 10 little essays or 15 little essays that teach you how to do this and, and not necessarily actionable tactical stuff, but how to think about this, how to look at this from a marketing lens, how to see things the way a marketer sees them. And by the end of the thing, the light will come on and, and it will dawn on you that there is an art to this and there is a science to this. I started off life as a doctor. I follow scientific doctrine. I test everything. So when I put something out there, that's just the first blow. It's not necessarily final. You put it out there, you try it, you see if it works. If it doesn't, you've learned something. If it does, you've learned something else. But there's constant A-B testing going on all the time in all of this stuff. And then we talk about that in the book as well, in that you're even if you're doing something simple like a postcard, do two versions, put them out there, see which one pulls better. Okay, now you learn something. Your audience likes blue rather than red. Cool, make everything blue from now on. Little tiny bits of data, all those little data points add up after a while. 
All your testing is just a, a big cache of knowledge that you're gaining, that you're collecting, so that when you go out to a real effort later on, once you've established a good baseline, now you know what you're doing. And you don't have to be as fretful about it. You don't have to worry about whether it's going to work or not. You'll have confidence to know that it will. One right. of the things we talk about in there is, is matching the audience to your specific skills. If you have, and there's a, a guy out there who's an advisor who's built an entire practice on fishing tournaments, would you believe? Fishing tournaments. That's it's true. not just putting a guy in a canoe and throwing a lure out. These guys are professional athletes. They go in very high-tech equipment and are paid to bring in the biggest fish. And they're paid by endorsers. They're paid by product people. They're paid by the contest sponsors. There are big purses in these things. These guys are pulling down two, $3 million a year, pulling fish out of the water. But this guy was also a fisherman. So he decided, these are my buddies. This is my tribe. I'm going to go deal with nothing but other guys that do fishing. So he developed three or four skill sets that the fishing folks need to worry about. They need to worry about how those endorsement deals are structured. They need to worry about how those product placements work. They need to worry about that ongoing income stream when that contract comes to an end. They need to find out about certain things in, in the tax code that favor them under certain conditions. Right. He developed a skill set that was valuable to guys that are fishing pros. And he went out as the fisherman's buddy. And has a practice that can't be touched at this point. He crystallized his value proposition. He crystallized his audience. He mated the two together. And boom, nobody can touch him on that arena. There's no other advisor for fishing guides at this point. So the trick in, in niching is to understand where you're best and to attract what it is you want to continue to be best to offer them just that. That's really the trick to all this. And that's in the book as well that shows you how niching Smaller is not necessarily bad. Everybody thinks bigger is better. It's not. I'll take 20 clients that are the perfect match that are going to grow with me for 20 years over 50 leads, most of which won't close over terrible clients who are going to niggle away at my profitability over the course of time. Absolutely. Is better. So, so yeah. marketingdoc.com is a way to find a copy of my book. It's very inexpensive. Amazon carries it. Local bookstores carry it. Um, grab a copy of that if you want. There's also a, a couple of uh, interesting papers and articles on there that you can download for free that are, will show you sort of how marketing works in terms of resonating the emotion in people's minds. Uh, you can gain some insight that way. And do yourself a favor, pop open your CRM one day when you've got a free minute and start trolling through there. Do a search on one particular attribute and see who comes up. Then draw a search on another particular attribute and see who comes up. Now, for fun, run the two lists against each other and see how much crossover there is. I'm betting it's more like 80%. Right. That's your target. <laughs> it's really that simple. Yeah. No, I've actually been doing this recently and talking to some other um, first-time uh, entrepreneurs who are a little bit, you know, newer um, than I am and, and, you know, trying to help them go through this process of looking okay, when you have a small book of business, it's harder, but, you know, we have to sometimes theorize <laughs> what this person is going to look like, but you still have, I mean, if, even if you only have a handful of clients to start with, there's still data that you can glean from that, that can help you um, see where you want to go. Absolutely. Um, and advisors still follow the 80-20 rule. 20% of your customers are providing you with 80% of your revenue. Find out where they are, find out what they look like, find out who they are, and go look for more of those. 
Go look for more of those. Absolutely. And there's <laughs> two other, yeah, go look for more of those. There was two things that you said also um, in that segment. And one of them was about um, knowing, oh, gathering all the data as a cachet, right? So immediately what came to mind is one of my clients um, was one of my first, first, first full engagement clients. And they've still been with me for four years. Um, and we did a lot of A-B testing for widowhood messaging. And we found, you know, for example, that loss of spouse performed much better than widowhood or mm-hmm. I forget what the other word we use. Widowhood skews old. Yeah. So we use, you know, loss of spouse, survivor verbiage mm-hmm. performed 10 times as well sure. as the landing page that used, you know, widowhood, um, widowhood guide, things like that. Um, and because they've been, because I've been with them this whole time, um, for, you know, this many years, that's just one tiny little piece of the data that, you know, I have with them that I can, we can go over to make things better. So the longer we're together, the more data that we've compiled together, the better that it gets. Um, we just, you know, we just launched their new website and, um, you know, year over year, they're doing great with, you know, new client acquisition. And so this, this data, this invaluable data, it it can also, I mean, here's the other thing, because let's say I got hit by a bus tomorrow. Yes, my clients have access to, you know, our quarterly marketing reports and all these things that we go over, but um, undoubtedly there will be some information lost just from the experience that I have in working with them for so long. Um, So, you know, keep in mind that much like, you know, you're going to have to market until you, as long as your business is alive. Um, so, you know, you, you want to establish a relationship with somebody that you're in it for the long haul with. Um, no, you're not giving a marketer your life savings, but I mean, it's pretty close. The fate of your business is pretty important. So the single driver of revenue other than than residuals, that's that's the single best driver of revenue is marketing. And it always surprises me when people reduce or eliminate marketing budgets when times get tough. That's the time to double down because exactly. all you're doing is giving away market share to the guy who holds even. It's really that so, simple. There are so <laughs> many people who are moving advisors or um, you know, deciding to advisor up, as I say it. When things are bad, I mean, that's when people get the most uncomfortable and it's easy to be a financial advisor. (laughs) When everything is going great for 11 years, what about when shit hits the fan? I mean, that's when people are really going to say, what is the, you know, how is my advisor helping me? How is he, you know, protecting me from potential loss? Um, What are we doing to you know, mitigate these circumstances. Is my portfolio on track? Am I going to be okay? Do I have to change my lifestyle? These are all questions that will keep people up at night. Um, and if you are not there in communication with your client, they are probably listening to someone else and perhaps considering going with the person who's going to be in contact with them and communication with them um, through these rougher times. Unless you are a specialist in wealth preservation, as opposed to wealth building. Now think about those two words. Most advisors, as they are supposed to be, are forward-looking. They're trying to see the time horizon. They're letting compounding do the work. They're trying to build something that's going to grow. 
Well, if your average customer is age 75, you're not in the building mode anymore. You're in wealth preservation business. And here's where those guys win. When times get tough, they're set up to do preservation. Their messaging is in place. Their portfolios are geared that way. Their allocations are defensive. They are looking at the next business cycle to make sure they're in position to, to take advantage of the upswing. They're right. used to working on the defensive. Those guys got it together when things go downhill. Where they have a problem is when things are doing well, because they're not going to pick up that peak because they're set up to defend. So they're going to have to explain in a different scenario. They're going to get calls at a, at a different time. Oh, my buddy just bought Shopify and he tripled his money in a week. Okay, we could have done that, but you'd have lost all the rest of this last week when things were not going as well. So you have to defend a position no matter which one you take. Right. The question is, if most of them are, are growth mode, then they're all being defensive at the same time. Right. Those calls flood the office when, when there's a 10% drop. Everybody's going, what are you doing to fix this? You're not doing anything to fix it. If you're smart, you're sitting there waiting for the market to do its job. Right. But realistically, you can be defensive in your messaging and providing information that you have about how this all works, exactly. about how it's best to stay the course, about how it's best to consider repositioning only under the best of circumstances and not out of panic or emotion. Again, all this is about you providing wisdom and positioning yourself as the expert. Yes, and, and communicating that because you know it and I know it and the advisor knows it, but your client doesn't necessarily know it. And if you're just waiting for the annual review to talk to them, you are viewing them a great disservice. No, client, client communication is a critical factor that a lot of them do not pay enough service to. Um, I am so surprised. Like that was one thing that really surprised me when I got into the industry and I was like, wait, you mean there are advisors who don't actually send anything out or email? And that's or... so simple to do nowadays. You can come up with 10 articles or 12 articles in a matter of, of an hour, piece them together, send them to clients once a month and say, hey, if you have any questions, I thought you'd find this interesting. It's all automated. Right. It's all set up and ready to go. I know. You don't have to think about it. Yeah. But keeping in contact with them. And then you infill with crisis information, with, crisis. with specific right. communications about specific things. Um, but the baseline, that going every month stuff, don't call it a newsletter, please. They don't care. They won't read it. If you call it a, a bulletin, you may have a better shot because it sounds more urgent. There's lots of word choice you can do with it. That The point is not the, the word choice or the naming, although branding is terribly important. The point is the consistency. The just, point is in touching that customer in a specific way, in, in a personalized way, every month or every two weeks or whatever your frequency is dictated by your audience. Yeah. And that's different for everybody. It's not right. the same. Some folks that are really, really on set it and forget it don't want to hear from you except twice a year, which is fine. Get out a message at tax time. Get out a message at, at the end of the year. Send them a holiday card and call it a day. You're not in growth mode either if that's where you're at. So this is not going to matter. <laughs> you're right. just looking at bare very retention. Very telling, very telling. So the trick is just to be consistent and don't ignore the customer. Make sure that that you're not only learning about their new lives and you're, you're listening to what they have to say. Um, it's very difficult for advisors or any business to do their own customer research. What are they going to tell you? No, you suck. I'm going to stay with you anyway. They're right. not. Okay, so They're not going to give you a straight story. <laughs> right. They're never okay, so going to do something gonna... that embarrasses you. So that, Yeah. So that's what I was going to ask you. I'm glad that you brought that up. So for advisors who are perhaps trepidatious about 
doing this sort of research, what, what do you think would be a good first step for someone who's considering going into their client base? And, and I've done a multiple different campaigns, I guess if you want to call them, um, into current client research, but I would like your opinion on how an advisor could get started thinking about approaching this, if this is something that they're interested in doing. There are lots of different flavors of customer research. Some are much more invasive and intensive and expensive and very enlightening and help you get a real firm footing on some big issues. And some are much more passive and lightweight and, and easy to deal with. Your customers are very long-term. They're not going anywhere. You can accumulate data over time. You need a firm baseline as to who they are. So here's the thing. If you present your bills electronically or online or through your portal, each bill has a question at the bottom. It's either a yes, no, or an open-ended. I prefer the open-ended, but you got to have the time to analyze the results. Right. So sometimes a yes, no, or a vote. LinkedIn does this beautifully. If you have contacted all your clients on LinkedIn or connected to them, you can literally put out an email with a, with a, a survey choice on there. Which would you prefer, red or blue, or whatever yeah. question you have burning every month when your bill goes? They're thinking about you. They're paying the bill. They're understanding where the money's going. This is what they're paying you for. The fact that they're asking, you're asking a question of them, you're asking for their input, very, very enlightening and very easy for them to say yes or no, or I like this versus this. And you're gathering data points every month that way. It's an ongoing feedback. If you look at the data over time, you may start to see, because you're keeping the same 12 questions every year, you may start to see shifts in your audience, in their answers, in their sensibilities, in their way they look at things. And that's a, a clear indication that you need to adjust your approaches to them and to new prospects who have also shifted in your messaging and in your proposition, because clearly sentiment has changed. Right. Um, there are other things you can do. Um, I think one of the better ideas is to select 10 customers, five of your best and five of your worst, the niggling ones, the red ant ones, the ones that cause you a problem. Put five of those and five of the absolute best, set them and forget them, big portfolio folks that trust you completely on a customer advisory board. Build this thing, promote it, say we're going to have a meeting twice a year and I'm going to sit there and listen to you guys gripe about all this stuff and you're going to say what you'd like for me in the coming year and what you'd not like to see from me in the coming year. And I'm going to gather intelligence from this board on an ongoing basis through a monthly email and say, oh, hey, how am I doing? That courage to do that and to take ongoing feedback is just gold in terms of retention, in terms of messaging accuracy, in terms of resonance for prospecting and everything else. That ongoing advisory panel is going to be your lifeline to what customers really want from you. It's low invasiveness. They feel great to be included. They really say, feel honored to be a part of it. If you couch it right, it really seems like a, a big deal for them to be on this thing. And you'll get so much more value at it. And eventually you'll get honesty, which is what you're shooting for. In the first couple of meetings, you're not. They know you. They know you wanted them to be there. They're going to be nice to you. After a while, they're going to get comfortable and they're going to start giving you real intel on what's wrong and what's right. And that's when the gold comes. You're going to really start to understand what they think and what they like and don't like. And you can act right. on it. And I think that what is interesting is that you're, you know, there's people who love this crap. You know, there's clients who would love nothing more than to be on your customer advisory board. Like, oh, yeah. All the Karens come out of the really. woodwork. All the Karens come out of the woodwork. It's wonderful. Right. <laughs> I mean, I know. They pop right say, up and are happy to give you their opinion. 
It sounds and it sounds terrifying because of that reason. But it's also, scary. Those first couple meetings are terrifying. No question about it. Though to get that you know that insight that will help you land that twenty percent of clients that's paying eighty percent in revenue. Correct. So risk and it's it. free. <laughs> it's free. You've already got their money. It doesn't cost you anything to go get them. Right. And like, it will even please some of them probably, you know, like they will just be, they'll be like honored and feel like they have set up a meeting, get a box of donuts, bring them into your conference room and say, Hey, here's our agenda for today. A, what I did right. B, what I did wrong. C, conclusion. (laughs) Very simple. Low key. It's an hour. And, And if you do that hour once a month, A, they'll start to get comfortable with it. B, you'll start to get comfortable with it. And C, you'll find some amazing insights that can help you shape your business and go after more prospects. And you'll find that your your sales calls close much more easily. Uh, Your clients stay with you longer because you know them better. And you'll find all kinds of other side benefits to this. There are all kinds of little extra things that you can be offering your clients that you don't even know exist. They'll tell you what they want. You just have to go find somebody to help you with it. Uh, Take, for example, digital assets. I'm guessing 90% of advisors do not offer a program to harvest, plan for, and transition digital assets to heirs as part of an estate plan. However, that smart 10% hooked up with a software advisor, built an app, and said, okay, you're going to put all your digital assets in here, and I'm going to manage it. And that way, when you need it, it's there. You send the stuff to me, and I'll take care of it. And that way, when when the transition point comes, your son or daughter comes in and says, hey, can I have those digital assets? And there is a legal framework built in to pass that along to them. Not just here's my logins. That won't work. You need to have a legal framework set in place for all of this. And then the state attorney can help you set this up. So will a software vendor. That's a value add. Costs you very little money to put this in place with an X number of seats and you know how many clients you've got and how many are going to bite on it. it so it's a hundred dollars a month. So what, what do you care if it's keeping a client a month longer, it's long ago paid for itself for all of them. So it, it, realistically, the numbers work tremendously well on this stuff. And it's another value added service that the other advisors will not have. It's a way to separate you from the pack. Right. Lots of things like that. Little value added services that that advisory board is going to tell you, Oh, hey, if you only offered this, I'd recommend you to Marty, my neighbor, who's a billionaire. Oh. How hard is that, right? Yeah. Add in that value. Right. Well, on that note, I think that you have added tremendous value to our listeners today on so many fronts. We got to a lot more than I had anticipated, which, you know, I feel like we could talk for hours probably. Um, but you told us where to find your book, a copy of your book. So why don't you go ahead and tell us where else we can find you, um, online so that we can connect with you. Uh, easily found on LinkedIn with the proper spelling of my name with the full name, David, not Dave. Um, and the marketingdoc.com has all kinds of ways to find me and all kinds of free goodies on there. Uh, lots of information about speaking engagements and other things. If you want me to come in and talk to your office, if you would like to engage me as a fractional CMO, uh, I would get to me through LinkedIn and connect with me there. That's the best way to reach me because it's it's in the proper framework and I can I can do a good assessment of, of what your needs might be and, and give myself a no-go go decision as to whether it's worth 
uh, you your time to work with me. Absolutely. So that you heard it from the man himself, and this is how you spell his name: David D A V I D Polis, right? Polis. Correct. P O U L O S. Correct. Yes. So marketingdoc.com, also LinkedIn. Um, he is just a wealth of information and he might be a good fit for you. So let's um, thank you for joining us again. Um, and we hope that you guys all learned something. As always, we encourage you to lift heavy, invest often, and market your ass off. Thanks for having me, Olivia. I appreciate it. Thank you for coming. Thanks for listening to Get Advisor Fit with Olivia Looper. To learn more about Olivia and how her firm, Lexicon Content Development, can help you, visit LexiconContentDevelopment.com. If you want to reach out to Olivia on LinkedIn, you can find her at Olivia Looper Lexicon. And if you'd like to follow Olivia on Instagram, you can find her at Lexicon Content Development. Till next time.